Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. We're uh, 48 hours or so as we sit here today from the inauguration of the 46th president. Washington is a fortress. The uh, inauguration will take place inside a green zone with very few people uh, on hand. Um, and Donald Trump will be winging his way back to uh, Florida. Or he'll, have, he'll have winged his way back to uh, Florida by then. So let's, uh, Mike Murphy, uh, let's, let's talk about where we're at and, and where we're going. I want to talk about all the things that are going on from the perspective of the people inside uh, the Biden world, inside the Congress and inside uh, the Republican world. And who better to help us through than our old buddy Rahm Emanuel. It's a time for thoughtful, reasoned, low-key analysis. And there was only one name, one name <laughs> in the entire Hacks on Tap megaverse that could fill that bill. Exactly. His honor. Yes. The one you can have us be brought out of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can imagine how surprised we were. <laughs> it must have been drawn out of a yarmulke, not a hat. <laughs> yeah. But Rahm, um, what do you th first of all, you know, I wrote a piece today that went up on CNN.com about our experience uh, the night before the inauguration. And you remember that call you made to me? Yes. Uh, about that the... Tell that story and then well, I'll correct you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, does, I'll tell it in a way in which you're at the center of everything. How's Thank that? Thank you. That's, that's okay. what I was expecting. That's yeah. Was yeah. Well, uh, the original story has me in this there, but the fictionalized one has you no it, it was real simple i mean uh, not simple but uh we were st the homeland security was starting to get intel about three individuals from somalia that were there was with four, back but go ahead. no i don't three uh planned with a backpacks to be in the crowd at different places and locations throughout uh the mall and possibly uh have a a, a coordinated terrorist attack on the mall with the population. And we then came up uh, with a plan where we'd obviously, Obama would have to be ushered out and then would give the inaugural from a secure location, but also be able to read a statement to the country. And I could not read anybody else in given everything. And so, and I couldn't talk to you. It's not like you could casually call up the speechwriters, hey, inaugural two, let's start on that draft. So I talked to you uh, from a phone call, I remember, I told you to call, I think, on a hard line or something you like that. You did, yes, knew, you did. I knew we could not um, do it on cell, et cetera. And so uh, I Which was a tip-off to me. that. Yeah, it was not always uh, kosher. Yeah. Uh, and so we had, a, we had literally the inaugural and then the inaugural uh, Plan B, and Obama and Biden I know Obama, I think oh, I, the vice president also was all read in, I know he was, all read into that where we would go in alternative plans and secret service and all the bells and whistles that come with uh, having a plan, God forbid, something yeah, bad So happened. I wrote this, so I wrote this, Murphy. This is for you. You're, you're, that's pretty you're, close. You're a screen, it is. I have some of the details differently, but that's basically very close. But Murphy, for your screenwriting pursuits, uh, so I go back real. to my apartment. My, I go back to my apartment, and um, Rom says you can't you tell anybody. Check the bus you schedule to Baltimore to get out of the line of fire. But <laughs> after can't. that, yeah, yeah, some of us uh, were still in the office, Murph. He yeah. um, he told me um, that I couldn't. Rom told me that I couldn't even share this with my wife. Um, so the next morning, so I'm up all night and I'm listening to sirens and wondering what the next day is going to bring. And uh, in the morning, I'm, I, I was scheduled to do a bunch of interviews and we needed to keep our schedule. And my wife, Susan, and my son, Ethan, were uh, supposed to be uh, joining with the Bushes and the Obamas and invited guests at that uh, ecumenical prayer service at St. John's Church across the street from the White House. And they were going. And I, I so wanted to tell them, don't go. I don't want you to go. But I couldn't tell him that without explaining why. And the whole thing was just very, very tense. But, you know, thinking back, I mean, <laughs> less so in many ways than what we're facing right now. 
I mean, in some ways, you know, tr- tracking down a, a handful of, of terrorists uh, was uh, like finding a needle in, the, in a haystack. And there were two million people out there, you know, but and, and multiple points of entry into the mall. But where we are now is, is quite uh, different. We're in a different planet now. I mean, we had an actual insurrection and the security people are doing what they do which is push the red button. They go from zero to a thousand. So now we have 25,000 national guard troops and half the federal agency payroll on, on guard there, but we're still a porous society. You know, it's part of the whole freedom thing. So it's going to be, I, I have a lot of confidence, I think, other than, you know, some drunken Zaga guys letting off a bunch of fireworks in the middle of the night and, you know, Georgetown or something, and there'd be some noise in the system. I'm, I'm very hopeful that, it'll it'll go okay but but we can't know you it's know a, it's, it's a the concern is not just the this capital but every state right, capital right. as well but here you know uh just you guys um just put yourself in biden's shoes he's going to make this speech uh four hundred thousand dead from this pandemic the uh economy has been uh decimated by it at least for people who live from paycheck to paycheck 10 million or more who are out of work small businesses closed and you have this this uh, the capital uh, fortress uh, against all of these threats uh what do you say uh you say it'll be a quick speech uh <laughs> no no you say help is on the way we're back to normalcy and to defeat this and get the country we all love back we have to all be americans first and you you know he I think we heard a good taste of where he's going in his campaign. Joe Biden is not a change up, reinvent myself, whole new thing kind of guy. The key will be, you know, making this a crisp speech, not always his style, but it'll be those, it'll be empathy plus action plan and competence. Plus this only works if we, if we unify, because he knows the country's torn in half. And that's what the polling data says. That's part of the, the, the 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 motor for for some of this extremism i mean it, it is this one is not a hard one to understand but it's going to take steady and strong execution and you know let's all pray for him to be successful on the uniting the country part then we can actually have our our normal fights where we at least have a common set of facts and a common set of democratic values and, and we're not doing the horrible thing we're doing now which is seeing the rule of law under attack in our democracy the, the good thing, Ram, is he's a, he's a, you know him very, very well, as I know him. You know him even more. Um, he's by nature an optimist. Uh, you know, he is uh, someone who, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have to uh, reinvent himself to be what is needed in this moment. No, I, I think, actually, I think it's what worked for him uh, in the election. I think people gravitated to his decency as the antidote to, uh, you know, the deception and uh, the division. And I think that uh, I always said this during the, two, uh, during the campaign, which was that uh, there was that shot when he went up to Minnesota late in the campaign, and there was a protester that greeted him, a number of them, and he went over to the protester and gave him an elbow bump and said, hey, I'll be your president too. And they both laughed. And I thought that was an iconic picture because it wasn't him turning away or scowling, but actually approaching somebody who disagreed, met him at the airport protest or met him at the event. And Joe still, the president-elect still went over to uh, greet him. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I think in this, I think the country, let's just say 70% of the country really wants him to succeed, knows he's, uh, there's a decency to him. And I think that is uh, ripe to hear a message of uh, unity and also the actions to follow with it. And I think, you know, uh, nobody, everybody knows there's everywhere you go, there's a challenge. I mean, it's just, if you just turn around, there's from the public health, yeah. the division, text, you can go to economic, you can go, uh, you know, even what often gets left off the list, which is probably one of the worst attacks on America, not just at the Capitol, but also by what Russia just did recently uh, with the cyber attack. And I think he himself in the, in his DNA has what the American people are looking for. And that's going to all, that was his secret sauce in the primary, his secret sauce in the general. It's going to be a secret sauce uh, in his presidency. 
Some of that speech, uh, I agree with you on that, and I and I basically agree with Murphy as well. But except in one thing, you you need to level set. You need to acknowledge and meet people where they're they are right now. You need to acknowledge that we are in fact in the middle of multiple crises, and that people are struggling, and that um, you know there's going to be. Uh, a period of struggle between now and when this vaccine takes hold. And uh, you've got to acknowledge the fact that, uh, you know, we've been uh, badly divided uh, and that he knows he has to earn, you know, the support uh, of uh, Americans. But, you you know, I, I just think he needs to be a realist and an optimist at the same time. Yeah, he just has to avoid the the doom and gloom department because Trump's grievance stuff is a cousin of doom and gloom. And he he ought to be the anti-Trump like he was in the yes. campaign. Yeah, I agree and, with that. And so say, look, now now that we're, you know, now that we're shaking off the hangover from four wild years and you're afraid to turn on the TV news for your kids, uh, it's going to be back to boring competence. And he's going to be judged less by his rhetoric in this speech, which will be good and reassuring. But by execution, can our government, the best funded government in the history of civilization, do as good of a job vaccinating us as, you know, we do sound Big Macs? And if Biden can execute that, he'll have nothing but benefits and the country will calm down, which is what he really needs and what the country wants. The 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 two things on either end of the goalpost, you can't be Pollyannish while you're optimist and you can't be uh, realist and and drop off into doom and gloom. And those yeah. are your goalposts. Right, right, and, right. And kick in the middle of it, um, and right down the middle of it, uh, and be successful uh, in, the, uh, in, in that sense. He has to tell the folks, but, and not also, I would say, uh, give a policy speech. This is going to be right. about uh, where we're going with inference and implicitness of where we're coming from without saying it. Yeah, yeah I think less is more. Well, one thing's for sure, it's probably going to be as stark a contrast between two inaugural speeches as we've seen. You know, Trump's was like stunning. American carnage. Yeah. This will be American <laughs> comeback. You need Chris Nolan to do another Trump speech. you got to have Gotham City and people on fire running around <laughs> and, you know, dragons attacking. That didn't match the reality of, of the country when he gave that speech, but that's the that's a, a little bit of the reality of the country as he leaves. Uh, you know I mean, that metaphor? Li- Did you, What's that? You hear that? Uh, yeah, not metaphor, the anecdote. There, I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly uh, former President Bush, after Trump's yeah. finished, leans yeah, yeah. over to Michelle Obama and goes, that, he goes, that's some weird, dark shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy, to his credit, delivered the card that she said. It just he was four years ahead of his time. Well, and the speech was great because it really was a window into who, Trump's vision. You know, yeah. it's like that old John Carpenter movie where you put on the sunglasses and everything turns black and white and there are monsters everywhere. That that That's how Trump saw the world. You know, it was the most honest speech Trump ever gave from his point well, of view. Well, and let's face it. I mean, it is a vision that uh, that has galvanized uh people part of the part of the reason our washington is an armed camp right now is because it's a vision you know it's a kind of um uh, manichaean view of the world uh, you know good and evil us versus them uh, that uh, that has galvanized a, a big part of the country by the way you guys um i don't know what he's playing i guess he's he's busy now doing two things uh deciding how who's going to get pardons and i guess a lot of people are and uh orchestrating his farewell ceremony from andrews air force base because he's skipping the inaugural ceremonies which by the way he should because how weird would it be for him to be sitting on the platform of the capitol two weeks after his uh supporters storm the capitol uh, in an insurrection, that would that would that would be some weird shit, right there. Well, you know, I was thinking about that, and I'm reminded of the old uh, Pat Buchanan joke he used to close the stumps with when he ran for president, which would start off cheering. It was an old, great old Pat Buchanan line. He said, "And William Jefferson Clinton will be there on inauguration day, and when I put my hand on the Bible and I take the oath of office that you, the voters, will deliver to me as your victorious candidate, I will then turn to William Jefferson Clinton, and my first words as president will be, you, sir, are under arrest.' <laughs> it would, it would apply. 
it would yeah. apply. So yeah, Trump yeah. will be building a fake White House where he'll be in exile down in some swamp in Florida. And he will delay his departure to try to screw with the TV feed because that's the kind of small, you know, toad he is with a toad staff. But then he will be, it'll, it'll be over and you will, you will feel the mood in America lighten a little. I really want to know on these pardons whether Trump's getting 10 or 20% of what people are paying for to get them. And I, I'm, I'm not joking. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm this, with you this, on this. This, you know, everybody's going to talk about that, and they should. The inaugural, the new day, et cetera, his departure, all of that. I don't want to lose this. This guy is a criminal, ran a criminal operation, and he's getting, uh, my goal, I'm trying to figure out, is it 10 or the 20%, what's the going rate of what he's getting for what people are paying for this part? <laughs> it's it you, and here, it, probably, it you and here are probably trying to figure out the same thing right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah he might call for a little a tip, but he... <laughs> yeah. uh, Watch who too, foreign financiers, people to yeah. get him out of his debt trouble. I mean, yeah, it is exactly, it is a big national security thing. That's too. why there's a, he's putting the shiny bobble over here to get everybody angry, so they don't pay right. attention to where the crime is happening. Right, and there's a there's an open crime going on at a turnstile at the White House front north north gate, and they are selling those pardons and exactly what uh, Murph said. And it's basically who's going to take him out of his $400 million problem when he walks out the door because he can't pay it. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just, you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not yeah, a good and, you, and and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Sue Gordon, the former uh, deputy uh, 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 DNI, uh, wrote the other day, who was there during Trump, uh, that he should be denied the... Um, the courtesy of uh, access to cla- to to uh, intelligence classified classified yeah. intel yeah that 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 seems completely right um, because I mean I think you know Biden's going to be careful because he doesn't want to lay logs on the fire and so on but uh, now the only reason you would allow him to get these intelligence reports is because by all estimations he doesn't generally read them. Uh, but you know, he can commercialize that. Uh, Oh, totally. And he will, you know, I'll even, here's the spy novel version, which isn't crazy. It'll get to the point where the CIA decides for 400 million through a cutout company, better for us to buy them than anybody else to protect the info. 
400 million is a nickel to them. I see your next film coming. Yeah. When you go through the list, Dan Coates, it's a former senator from Indiana, who was head of the DNI yeah. director, who said in the, uh, in the book, uh, I couldn't remember if it was Woodward or um, Bolton's book, but he said that he had a view the president was compromised. You go through all the other national security people who all had the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. I bet you the national security either cut out or I would not be surprised if he continues to get uh, intel briefing. They're going to put a rogue information in there. To see yeah, they assault it. Absolutely. He'll start talking about, hey, we got a flying saucer somewhere. And then they're no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, given the fact that he had nothing to say about that uh, massive Russian cyber attack, yeah. you know, obviously he didn't have anything to say about um, uh, about uh, Novot- Novotny being um, uh, arrested. You know, I mean, he, you know, his, there's so much that would make one uh, believe that. But let's get on to back, back to Biden for a second. Uh, Ram, he's, they've, uh, you saw they've uh, released a flurry of uh, executive orders that he's going to sign uh, on day Yeah, they telegraph what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, what do you think of the game plan? Uh, and B, what, I mean, I have my views, but I'll ask you first, like, what did we learn that they should know uh, and take away from our experience? The stuff we did wrong as well as, as stuff we did right. <laughs> How long we got? All right, you can. <laughs> that was a layup. Come sit on, down, it was too easy. Down, too Murphy. easy. All <laughs> right, Rom, go ahead. Jesus, Murph, that's yeah. really. <laughs> He's feisty today. Well, I, a couple <laughs> things. One is I think they are creating through all the lists and what they're going to do not only on day one, the first, the big word is momentum, forward motion, and they don't want the pace of Congress to set the pace for the administration, meaning working through the legislation. So I, regardless of each one of these things, I think they're doing right. Second, and he, re, people, the first five things Obama did, which was Guantanamo, really led better legislation, the Children's Health Care legislation, the recovery legislation, the auto uh, task force, and the financial kind of rules of how to have the tarp. The one thing, the two things I would say to pay attention to. One, we should have closed Guantanamo day one, not a year process. And that that year process got us tangled in a knot on a central pledge from the campaign. And had you close it on day one and then figured out how you were going to do it over the year rather than figure out how to do it over the year with the ultimate end closing, you'd have been smarter. Uh, and would have succeeded in getting something done that the president wanted to, and then it got tangled up, and there's a story behind that. Two, there's this big argument going on about Obama could have gone bigger. There was never the votes for it. Right, we right, went right. First, Don't relitigate we first, that. We don't, we no, don't have precious time. No, but that. I do think this. Congress <laughs> can't make this. Well, I do want to litigate it. Congress cannot know, make this. Can, Congress cannot. you got to make sure this doesn't come become just one giant capital A appropriation bill frustrated from years of Trump which is it's very focused on mission-driven. The moment it drives off the road to some other mission, not dealing with the pandemic, not dealing with kind of helping people through this crisis, uh, that's where you're going to get caught. So stay laser-focused, and that will mean the people, which is the 20% that says he won as president who voted for Trump, will stay with you for this part of this journey early. You don't want to lose them early. He just needs to be in the president business. And what he's lucky about from a Democratic point of view is he has a bunch of big, you know, uh, cherry bombs he can light off. He can rejoin Paris. That That is a whole huge thing he can make a meal out of. I think he ought to do a, a whirlwind European trip pretty quick. Part of it can be a world COVID summit. What are we going to do in the LDCs about COVID? But it can be reasserting American leadership in, in the NATO alliance, which has been totally vacant. And then he's got to set metrics and achieve them on vaccines. That that we know from COVID politics, action works. Words don't. Well, I think you know, starting Wednesday, everyone who goes to their website and is frustrated because they can't get an appointment to get their vaccine, that's going to be on his account, not on Trump's yep, account. Yep. Even though Biden is inheriting a mess, um, and is you know clearly they're focused on trying to straighten it out. He he knows that. I, I would say this, um, and Ram, this is this is a this is a. Uh, this is a debate that probably goes back to the beginning uh, of of that time when you and I were together. Um, I think, A, 
you 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 know you have to strike a balance between showing momentum and doing so many things that none of them penetrate uh I think you got to be really careful about that so that if you want things to come through, you need uh-huh. to make sure that you, you're not going so fast that it just comes and goes and you don't get the yeah. benefit of it. The second one is, uh, and I know you were a strong proponent of this, and I was, uh, you know, your partner in this. Your feeling was got to have the president out there, got to have him doing things, got to show him being active and so on, uh, which I agree with. But you got to be careful not to make the president the announcer for the government instead of the leader of the country. And, and you can lose your narrative if you get too pedestrian, too sort of prosaic about the announcements that you're making. You got to use the rest of your team uh, to make announcements. And there are some things that shouldn't rise to the level of the president. And Biden ought to be speaking. Uh, he should not be so immersed in detail even not not just in the inaugural speech, but after that, he isn't always sort of pointing to the North Star, reass- reaffirming what where they're going and 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 why. Um, I think we 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 probably made uh, Obama a little too prosaic at times and lost the thread of our overall narrative. Uh, and you know, and so those are my two things: just juggling. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff at once and making sure that you're really, really laser focused on the big messages and using the president uh, as a narrator of those messages rather than as an announcer. I would just say I, as an old friend, am detecting a little of the patented, and I'll bet you are too, Ram, Axelrod nervousness as we talk about this. What are you afraid (laughs) they're going to screw up? Because you, uh, I, I, you've I'm been not, I'm not worried about cautious. them screwing what, but up. But you, you've got to worry. I want to hear what it. No, is. no, I honestly don't. I think that I honestly think they're. It's a very competent group, uh, you know. And Klain is uh, Ron Klain, the chief of staff, mm-hmm. is probably as well suited for this moment, uh, just because of his experience in Ebola in running the Recovery Act back in our day. Um, you know, I, I don't have worries about. This is all about communications. I'm just talking communication. The greatest asset the president-elect has is his character right now. Yes. Two, let's just lay out the ground how we think about this. Two, the country is coming out of a dark four years and a particularly dark last year. He is different in temperament, tone, and uh, uh, title than Trump. He's just different. And I think he has to hold the country through this progress. I think they've done very good not saying, oh, this is going to all be done in in Roosevelt in 100 days. We're going to go through a period dark before we see light, etc. And I actually think, uh, and I've written about this, I really do believe his Catholicism, his spirituality, or sense of uh, faith in the church is going to be important to hold people in, you know, we're in the middle of winter and you're losing 4,000 people a day. I think him not obviously every day just a new grab bag, but it is that the country's making progress. Stay with this. We're going to stay focused on our three goals here, and we're going to be empathetic to where you are, and the help is on the way. And I don't think that requires, obviously, not every announcement, but I think right now, let me say it this way. In the transition, I think they've been pitch perfect. If they can keep that discipline in the uh, early on setting the impressions when they have the wind at their back, yeah, I think it's going to be a good thing. Yeah, as, as you know, I mean that that is more challenging because you don't always Much get more. to choose what the agenda is. Events press in on you, but look, I I don't know, you know, Murphy, I, I'm not, I'm actually really really impressed with what they've been doing. I I just I just know that um, it's harder when you're uh, you know re- arranging a hundred different things at once. You oh, know, of course, the, the communication yeah, pipeline yeah, yeah, yeah. can get really. Yeah, you diffuse yeah, dull knife. It won't cut. Let, let, let me give you a fear, though, and let you guys react. All right. But here, here's the one. Can, I'm sorry. Mark, yeah, go, Murphy's, go, got, go, Murphy's got a fear. So hurry up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to shatter the. He, look, here. he seems to be trembling. Murphy is with two Jews on the show. And he's now and they and the Catholics got the fear. That's what I'm happy <laughs> about right now. We've had an impact. We've had an impact. You said no. Here's the thing that I would say is he doesn't have a cabinet. They're not installed. So you don't have people that can really speak. You got a vice president who can be a surrogate, et cetera. So unfortunately, until he gets people in their well, chairs, point, yeah. that other people can't really speak. And the best that I mean, right now, 
I'm for police protection for Zeitz 24-7 until we get this thing. He is like the most important person. The coronavirus director. Yeah. yeah. Jeff Zeitz, absolutely. Yeah, he's a logistics guy, and this is a massive logistics uh, Cluster. challenge. So let us help you, Murphy. What's on your mind? There? <laughs> well, no, no. Here is a uh, rabbis, rabbis. I'm struggling with this, and the Pope is befuddled. This is very reformed. Very he, he, reformed he recommended synagogue. I come to the, the Reformed Church, but, you know, reformed, yeah, that's like Episcopalians to Catholics. We call so. our synagogues, but go ahead. Uh, okay. I, 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 I Googled that. I now understand. <laughs> this is a fear that I have theoretically. It's just candidate psychology and everything in his heart biden's a legislator you know in the greatest tradition in the bob dole tradition it'll be tempting for him to go become the macro senate majority leader and go engage in these budget fights and all the other stuff on the hill um it's just it's going to be hard to get a guy who's been a veterinarian for 40 years not to you know look at the horse in the mouth a lot and that'll be a discipline thing i do think we're gonna he has a huge benefit beyond all the attributes Ron talked about, we're going to see what a crack presidential staff looks like, which is something long forgotten because the Trump thing was a, was a Ringling Brother Barnum and Bailey production. So I think that'll be something they'll have to deal with, not letting him, because, you know, legislators have not been executives. They're not always the greatest delegators. And, and to kind of <laughs> curb that energy. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah I, I see Rom howling with laughter, having been an ex-legislator who was uh, thrust into an executive job by those uh, cruel voters of Chicago. But anyway, I think that's something they got to worry about. And second, he, he's going to need some adroitness there because we got this two-track issue of he's got to wire up his cabinet and all that. And there's going to be a brief but important impeachment trial in the Senate. Let me just say, I don't think his problem is going to be staring at horse's mouths uh, over on the hill. I think it's the other side of the horse he's going to have to be <laughs> w- worried about. But um, <laughs> but but look, I, Ram, this thing is the sequencing, and you know a lot about this from both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue, the sequencing of this legislative stuff is really, really tricky, both in terms of his need to act quickly on the virus and the economy and his desire to show cooperation and bipartisanship and the ability to work uh, together because they may not cohere. You know what I mean? He may have to make a choice. Yeah, I mean, there's there's inherent tension. And one thing I would also say is on the not on the periphery. A lot, you know, he has to. I, I and I believe the Democrats are going to give him the benefit of the doubt to follow their leader, but he has to keep in mind there are inherent civil war right now not just in the country but within the republican party exactly and you want to drive towards that civil war because there's 20 percent of the republicans and there's a democrat who in this polling are pretty clear you know they voted for trump but they believe uh biden won they think he's a legitimate president etc etc those people are ripe for the taking because they are not culturally uh and temperament associated with the core now of the Republican Party. And he has to keep his eye on them because they're a core group of what I call Biden Republicans who are going to come his way if he does this right. And he has done a pretty good job holding the both by executive orders, cabinet appointments, et cetera, and other administrative things, keeping the left tied to him without losing the center. The second thing, but the second thing is, uh, and I would say this is, uh, a lot of what he has to do is administration, which is getting the vaccine out, right, getting exactly. the governors organized. It is right. not legislatively. And if all, if, in fact, what I would say is let the legislative process work. You go in and out when you need to, but don't tie your presidency to that because if you can get the trend lines down on the pandemic, everybody's sites are going to look up. Yeah, there's and no, there's no doubt about it. The question and is, so, the, the question is whether you can get, you know, what you need to get from Congress to help get those trend lines going. How much of that dough that he wants does he need, uh, genuinely need right now, uh, in order to accomplish what he needs? I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be judged first and foremost by how quickly and how effectively these vaccines are disseminated and how quickly he can get well, things that's done. That's also the key to the revenue he needs to pay for this stuff. Because if he gives the Republicans a tax war yeah, into next year, they're going to take the House back. Yeah, but it isn't, uh, but he isn't that isn't part of what he's he's asked for there are pieces of what he's asked for like aid to state and local governments uh or something near and dear to ram's heart that uh that 
you know, the Republicans have been uh, have been deaf on. My only point is he's got he's got control of the Senate and the House, you know, budget reconciliation where you can use this process for 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 uh, fiscal, you know, budgetary matters, revenue matters. Uh, and and the House and Senate can uh, can vote and it requires only a majority to pass no filibuster. He could go that route. I think he has to. It's the only route he's got. He's just got to watch it because it's so tight that his left can make trouble, too. They hold three Senate votes. He could be screwed if he can't recruit a a Romney or a Murkowski. And Romney is no fiscal liberal. I mean, people kind of assume a moderate vibe there on the spending stuff. That's a bad assumption. Understood. But if you go that route, you know, you're saying I'm going to be a bipartisan. I'm going to work on a bipartisan basis. And then you quickly declare that you're going to try and pass your program. Democrats only. First of all. He would have to start it with the bipartisan effort. If he started, I got 50 votes, I'm only going 50 votes, it would be turning his back on the campaign message, right. number one. Right. Number two, he has to start there. And everybody you're negotiating knows you can go 50 plus one. But if you go 50 plus one, and that's always a viable option, you then I would put minimum wage in front because that will be passed with bipartisan votes. And then you can say, one of my first bills passed with overwhelming bipartisan support, et cetera. And reconciliation, one thing besides it can't be filibustered, 50 plus one. It has to be either spend or uh, revenue raise. And then the second thing, it has to be done within the first three weeks of February, if my memory serves correctly. So he doesn't have a lot of time to, and uh, this is where I would say about trust but verify when it comes to McConnell. He has no interest in helping. He will lip sync. I want to be bipartisan, et cetera. He'll do it probably on the cabinet. But on the rest of this stuff, Mitch McConnell, don't listen to what he says. Watch his hands because that's where he's going to create trouble. All right. Let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Murphy, you do you do you agree? By the way, that uh, that you can get bipartisan support for a increase to fifteen dollars an hour on the minimum wage. Yeah, if five or six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's going to be a real deal pushback, though, to waver it down a buck or two in some of the states where fifteen bucks is not the same as other places. I mean, you can also do you can do you can do two or three things. You can do fifteen over five four years. You can phase right, it right, in. Right. There's a lot of levers you can move around this stuff. Yeah, there's room there. There's room for some infrastructure. Um, There, there is, there is some stuff to to do, and uh, you know. So I, yeah, I'm kind of hopeful. Just but if he, he, the best thing for his revenue guys is to get people back to work. Best for everybody, country included. Best for not having to extend unemployment benefits every week for a hundred billion dollars. So that is vaccine distribution. Vaccine equals government revenue, local revenue. It, it, solves yes. all, it doesn't solve all the problems, but boy, it's a whole new world in six months if all those projections go back right side up because people are working again. I think he's handled this impeachment the right way, which is like I was hired to get us out of this mess. Okay, yeah. I was hired to get these vaccines going. I was hired to get our economy going. This is a matter for the Congress. What Trump did was egregious. They need to do whatever they're going to do. But if you were over there strategizing, and it's no doubt Schumer is talking to him about it, how, uh, how Rom, do you think um, Biden uh, is urging him or how do you think he is instructing him to proceed? I mean- Well, I think you'll figure out what, Biden saying by the time what Nancy does with sending it over. Mm-hmm. She's because still she, holding on to the articles yeah, of impeachment. They haven't yeah. been com- communicated to the yeah. Senate yet. Yeah. So in that, the moment that happens, there's a couple things that factor. One is when does Nancy, the speaker, send it? Two, beyond organizing the Senate for the impeachment, which has to happen immediately, what does Supreme Court Justice Roberts do? Does he only do the beginning and then walk away, which puts a different not clear that he is he has to provide right. because it's not a sitting president that's right set third thanks for finishing my thoughts for me as somebody has to it's, yeah. a, dirty, it's I, a dirty job but somebody has to do it uh look there's already clearly five votes here you need seven you need 17 
I think there's a there's all there's always like with everything you got to have an off ramp. There is a potential that as the impeachment mushroom cloud blocks confirmations, blocks the spending bill, etc., they can send it back to committee. The fourteenth, the big issue where the de- where Democrats, Republican, public really support, which is banning Trump from uh, running again. There's big majorities for that. The 14th Amendment needs only 60 votes to get that done. And then you do a censure, which McConnell was talking about, which has the moral condemnation. That road exists. You're not there yet. It's down the highway. No, but, but it's, it's very tempting. Track. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you get yeah. both the moral bipartisan condemnation and you get the 60 votes. And McConnell will lead that effort because he wants to, he wants to get this python off his back. Oh, totally. In fact, the big question, I think, for Schumer is but, the but conversation with, with McConnell, which is basically, Mitch, for therapy, my guys need five days of screaming about Trump. Uh, there's no stopping that. You know, they got their own voters in the old world. You want five days, you want 10 uh, to make your move if there's a move to make, because it's down to your votes and whether or not McConnell can can find the extra seven or eight. And that factor right now is boiling in the Senate caucus. They're watching. They're looking for an off ramp. McConnell always moves last when he has his votes, uh, so those poker hands. They're watching to see if Mary Cheney survives in the Republican. Liz Cheney. Uh, Liz Cheney. I keep saying Mary used to work for me at, at my old firm for a while. She's a wonderful person. So I always say Mary when I mean Liz. But anyway, and I think she will survive. They're, they're going to watch kind of how it boils, will, will it, what effect it'll have. And then finally, here's the conversation every Republican senator up in, in two years or four, for that matter, is having internally which is one they're mostly, not all, we have our share, but they're mostly morally aghast. But they've got the pollster saying, you know, 55 to 60% of your voters you need to win like Trump. You're going to go screw them? And that's been the equation for for four years. But now the different thing is there's a knock on the door and their PAC fundraiser comes in disheveled, you know, drunk, holding a half-empty bottle of whiskey saying, it's gone. There's no money. We're going to get outspent six to one on TV. We're screwed. And they jump out a window 40 stories. It is the panic on finance because corporate America has thrown the switch, not ambiguously about this, is tremendous. So now they're looking at death by primary voter or death by financial guillotine. Right. And McConnell's argument is, look, there's no accommodating Trump anymore. He's coming for us. We started a war with him and we damn well better finish, which is kill him so we can't run again and jam up our primaries and be relevant. And then we'll mend all the other stuff because if if Biden overreaches, we can go defend corporate America from a huge revenue gram. So there's a path for that, but you got to get rid of Trump. 75% of uh, Republicans believe that Trump uh, won the election. As you point out, he still has a a very favorable uh, rating with them. There's a, there's, there's, you know, a quarter to half of the Republicans who are, very much in his thrall and in his sway, it, you know. And the question is, um, uh, how many wanna how many wanna steer into that? Yeah, the other tell is only about half want him to run again, which is a, a crack in the in the loyalty wall. But it needs time. It needs time to burn. Trump needs to get out of the daily news cycle, which is going to start to happen. It there's hope there, but waiting around for Trump to get better is a suicide strategy for the R's. Yeah, but the other thing is, look, he. First of all, we all know the SWAT of an ex-president declines precipitously. Second is he's cut off from his normal forms of communication, alternative communication. His ability, and, and he, you know, the guy's just a brand, four people in a real estate firm doing branding. He doesn't have any fundraising operation, organizational places to recruit people for a primary. And if you can't talk to him on Twitter or Facebook, he has no way to say, here are the five people I want to go target and beat. So he will diminish, on the other hand, since there's no love lost between him and Mitt McConnell, McConnell got him for his tax cuts and his judges. It is time to put a stake. Yeah, and McConnell totally gets up. it. And that's why McConnell's going to figure. And I, but here's the thing. Uh, and the, rather than Schumer saying, "Oh, this impeachment's a problem for me," he needs to go to Mitch. Goes, "This is hey." Yeah, what I'm do you need, pal? Yeah, t- my, give me the plan. Guy, you guys need to vote on this impeachment as much as we do. So, what do you want to do here? Right, exactly. Let 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 Mitch get out the old sling blade and do his thing, and we'll see if he can get to the votes. So, and when do you think all this comes down? I mean, that's that was the question I started with. That train one confirmation because you need your government in place to do what you got to do. Otherwise, these little nerds inside the bureaucracy are going to set off bombs on you. Two, 
you got the uh, your major legislation to get the resources you need to finish the COVID war. And then three, uh, probably forgetting something, but you got impeachment. Impeachment, the moment Nancy says it, the clock starts. And so you got to make sure the confirmation battle, that nothing else, the cabinet gets done, the other piece gets done, and the impeachment happens in a way but doesn't divert or derail these other two. It looks to me like they're, they're trying this dual track thing because they don't want to delay impeachment too long, which gives Trump ability to go out and build fire. And you know Trump's going to do something assholish in the next five days. And that'll that'll create more demand. So I think it'll be pretty quick. Well, maybe in the next day he's he's got he's got pardons coming tomorrow. Yeah. On this pardons thing, you know, um, they they may look different than they would have if um, if this whole thing hadn't gone down because he knows uh, he's yeah. in a jam right now with the Senate and possibly beyond the Senate. Uh, you know, and there's one to really watch because the R's are berserk about this, but Trump is flirting with it to please his libertarian Rand Paul types and also to put a stick in the eye to team regular Republican, which is the traitor Snowden. And if he pardons him, I, I swear that's three more Senate votes for impeachment. That is a big deal in, in the Republican Senate world. What about Bannon? Because his name is floating around. Yeah, I, I don't think that is not quite the pardon a traitor lightning bolt. No, no, Snowden I understood. I understood. But, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that moves votes. It's he led another crime and horror, but I don't he think was, that he is. He was out the there problem. whipping up this whole insurrection thing. It, it, Steve Bannon, does, is that pardon a game changer in any way? I would say no, it's just one more sin in the long list of horrible pardons we're going to so, see. So uh, if you're, you're Merrick Garland and you're taking office as attorney general, what do you do with Trump? I mean, you know, there are there are obviously uh, a lot of areas that uh, would beg uh, investigation. Um, you know, Biden has been tepid about uh, the idea of prosecuting Trump, but um, given everything yeah, that- that's happened, what what happens now? It federalizes it. I think if there's a great tax case waiting for him back home, uh, let the Southern District of New York and its uh, razor blade teeth do their thing. Biden's pick of Merrick Garland, and there were a lot of voices in the party against it, is going to look prescient. Oh, yeah. You have Absolutely. A, you I agree have, with that completely. You have a federal judge who has a reputation as a judge, so it won't be impugned of motivation. Two, he cut his teeth. The last time there was an insurrection act in Oklahoma City when there was the bombing killed right. all the people in the whole in '95. He prosecuted the case, right? That's why I say he. That's where he cut his teeth. And then third, I think this is important. I bet you across the country, he tells all these U.S. attorneys to go aggressive on the hard right, from ra- racist, anti-Semitic to militia groups that are trying to overthrow either state governments, federal governments, and you build that case up without having to hit Trump. You hit Trump's people. And you let the other cases either in Georgia or Vance's case on the tax issue in New York take their course. I don't think you have to start at the top. I think like any good lawyer prosecuting, you start at the base and build up. Um, And I think that and I think that I really do think that Merrick Garland's tenure as a judge and his reputation is going to be incredibly valuable. And I think it was prescient of uh, Biden to pick them. And I know there are some people that wanted other people. This is going to pay huge dividends for Biden's people. Yeah. I, I federalizing it is then Biden owns it. Then he's debating Trump. The news media will overplay it. I think there are, there are 50 local sh- sharks that can do a very good job with, with cause there. And I agree about going after on the wider um, sedition argument, these militized groups. Okay. Then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. So, Ram, Jennifer wants to know, she says, so free speech is one thing, flat out lies are another. Refusing to walk through metal detectors and insisting on carrying guns onto the floor is in- incomprehensible. What if any measures exist to check members of Congress when they're clearly acting irresponsibly at best and even threateningly? You're an old member of the House. You're a le- you were a leader of the House. W- what do you do with the uh, uh, with Brooks, who stood up at the rally and talked about kicking ass and uh this new representative from colorado who walked who who 
who was packing guns through the metal detectors and apparently gave tours of the Capitol uh, in the days before the, uh, the insurrection. Well, I still remember about 48 hours after the, um, the insurrection, there was ominous warnings that as, you're, as you learn more, it's going to get uglier. And that has been proven true every day for the last 12 days, that the more we learn, the worse it looks and what happened. Now, to the three Republicans that may have participated uh, and aided, you know, the Republican caucus, when they dealt with the congressman from Iowa, um, and why I can see him in front of me, but Steve, uh, uh, yes, Steve, Steve King, King, they had to censure somebody for his uh, language, his actions that for being openly uh, racist. I wouldn't say I don't know about anti-Semitic, but homophobic, etc. His hatefulness in general. Yeah. They dealt with or, or 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 at least being too overt about it. And then the truth is oh. also, and the truth is the Republican Party, and this is a big problem. And I know you know it, Murph. They also had to deal with uh, David Duke at a different uh, period of time. So in yep. this case, there's going to be, uh, and I would make sure if I was a speaker as it relates to getting access to the Capitol, etc. The Sergeant Arms and the Capitol Police put out the rules, and everybody has to follow them. It's not the speaker's rules. It's what the security team says. That's A. B, you have to put this on McCarthy. Why should, I mean, McCarthy has to, uh, uh, if you, uh, Nancy's position should be, you have to police your caucus. If you don't police your caucus, the Congress will. And there's plenty of examples from Steve King to David Duke and others where the Republican Party has within its midst uh, people that obviously spew dece- not only deceitful, but more, for, more importantly, and not more importantly, but hateful language that is exacerbates uh, uh, the tensions in America, and that becomes a caucus problem inside the Republican. I always want to shove this back on the Republicans because they it, it continues to divide them, and they have to police it. Look, I agree with you. We used to have a little star chamber where first don't agree with they, you. No, no, no. I have to do it once an episode. Uh, where you know they'd sprinkle a little rabbit blood on your doorknob at midnight, and the next morning we'd report and we clip people. I was part of it. We clipped David Duke. There was a clown in Kansas or Iowa, some Midwestern state. I don't remember, but the the we used to have a procedure for this. And McCarthy, because he's uh you know always bucking for the cover of Spineless magazine, has just <laughs> not shown it. Now he's got a tougher caucus. There is a bright light in this, by the way. I know you guys are always saying we're the sexist party, but I'm happy, you know, full of old white men, but I'm happy to report that the majority of our newest kooks are female. So we are, we are making progress. Your, Brad, your, your recruitment efforts really worked on the yeah, going we're, out the we're, we're killing on that stat. Yeah. Can yeah. That's shit crazy I, women. Uh, fork, forks and knives are, are next. Look, the, knife, the knives are out for McCarthy because yeah, he played are. it too cute. When he went in there and said, oh, this is horrible, and then went out and said, I don't, uh, with the electoral college. Yeah, man, he was leading the charge against the the, uh, election results. Yeah, And and he gets more under the microscope, the press is on him. And Nancy has to force this on him because it goes right to the the wedge inside his caucus and put this on him to solve, and he cannot solve, and he can't handle the microscope. He will not. It's going to come down, I think. To Scalise versus somebody, and the big question is who that somebody could be that's not McCarthy. All right, and and will the kind of old bulls could be Cheney get a little re- resort to? Yeah, it could be, but you know, yeah. first she's got to fight off the Freedom Caucus right now. Right. Um, okay. Now, uh, David, this is a uh, a fastball for you, and we're going to put the hex on tap. We're going to limit you to only seven superlatives. Uh, John wants to know. What do you hacks make of the decision to name Jamie Harrison, who was the candidate who ran a close race to Lindsey Graham and overwhelmingly Republican South Carolina? Anyway, to name Jamie Harrison the new chair of the DNC. Is he just a good money guy with a high dollar Rolodex? What are the upsides of the hire that my ideological priors keep me from recognizing? And I'll just say part of the upside is it keeps Stacey Abrams from having a platform to make trouble in a primary in 2024 against Harris is my conspiracy view. But David, what's the real story? Yeah, thanks for letting me answer my own question here. <laughs> Murphy. Sorry, couldn't resist. Uh, Take all the time you need. <laughs> I'll see uh, you in an hour. Look, um, the, the virtue of Jamie Harrison is that he was a state party chair. 
Um, you know, I, I, Tom Perez is a great friend. I think he did a valiant job. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, he didn't come from there. Uh, and what, you know, what, what the par Democratic Party needs is a chair who's going to strengthen party organizations in all the states, even in states where Democrats are not going to necessarily prevail uh, everywhere, but uh, but can compete in places. And um, and he will do that. Uh, and, you know, the, the Democratic Party right now, the Republican Party is in the barrel. Democratic Party has its own challenge. And we've talked about it here. You can't just be a metropolitan party. You can't cede 80 percent of the country and build a durable governing majority. Now, maybe if the Republican Party implodes to the degree it is, you'll be able to do that. But uh, I, I think that Biden uh, has proven that it's helpful to be able to reach beyond and you need a party organization that helps um, that helps facilitate that, and uh, and I think Harrison will do that. I worked with Jamie when I was in Congress when he worked for uh, Clyburn. He's a he is very and I talked to him just the other day, and he's very talented, very smart, and it's an important thing for Democrats to try to get past this boom and bust. And what I mean is, Clinton won in '92, lost the House and Senate in '94. Obama we won in '06, but Obama wins in '08. We lost the uh, the House in 2010 and then the Senate in 2014. You got to get past this boom and bust cycle. And I think Jamie's perfectly situated to know how to move the resources, target where we have to, we have growth potential, and really move the party uh, and what we did in the election at the state level. Um, and so he has that capacity, and he will also have a president and vice president who's interested in his success. Yeah, he important. understands the voters you guys need from candidate experience, and that's very, very valuable. Yeah. Murphy, Barbara wants to, says it had been widely reported that McConnell uh, asked his caucus not to challenge the certification of the elections. Nevertheless, Hawley, Cruz, etc., disobeyed him. Uh, is that significant? If he publicizes that he'll vote to convict Trump, does he still have the juice to make others fall in line? Well, Barbara, you see, contrary to popular belief, he's not Stalin. He can't order a firing squad. He does have to kind of move by consensus. And Cruz has always been an outlier uh, in, um, in, in the Senate caucus. He's uh, not exactly, as McCain's old joke, miscongeniality there. Uh, and Hawley has given him a race for his money because he's kind of a single-cell organism interested only in the Republican nomination. So they are, they are seen as problems, but that doesn't control their behavior, though there are intangible consequences to that. Holly's got his own problems because his biggest million dollar donor has yanked yeah. the cord. And what could happen if you want the Shakespearean view is that Holly's numbers decline. His money looks bad. He's a bit of a pariah, which means he won't get much done in the Senate. The leadership won't like it, doesn't like him. That's Mitch. And if there's somebody with some muscle starts looking at a primary, I think there could be back channel. Well, I mean, I think you're dreaming but, myself. Yeah, but. I know. I know. I know. You, 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 my, my point is that's the scenario that is the worst for Hollywood, that kind of action could catch up. But you can't assume that Mitch orders these guys around. He's just massively influential as the leader of the Republican. Uh, yeah, I think, that's know, the Holly, I think that's the Hollywood interpretation of Holly. But anyway, go ahead, Ron. You're, okay, you've spent all that time in Republican primaries. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. One, if I was Cruz and Holly, I would bring a uh, food taster to the next caucus luncheon. I would not try to eat that meal on the first bite. Number two, I bet you Schumer makes it up. Uh, if it's not public, it will be seen pretty quickly and let the story get out. There will be no co-sponsoring amendment allowing any Democrat to have Hawley or Cruz as a co-sponsor on an amendment. And there'll be no amendments that they offer that will ever get to the floor. And he will challenge McConnell about seating them on a committee. I think that you can put, you know, McConnell's going to organize that. And if he wants to send these guys a message, it's either no committee or they get to go on the D.C. statehood committee or something else that's a, you know, that's going to be prominent. These guys are building profiles for presidential elections and putting on a committee that can't help that is going to be key. You, neither of you guys answered the question, which was, does McConnell have the juice? If he were to say he was voting to convict, would would he bring along with him? Would he embolden uh, enough people to join him? That, that was really the essence of her question. 
And the, the answer to that is we don't know yet, but he can sure give him cover. And he had the power to stop anything, which he's not using. Right. Uh, the last thing he can do to screw Holly, which is the best, is he can start to promote Holly's rivals for the nomination, the Tom Cottons of the world, and give them some sunshine. Yeah. All right, guys, we ran right up to the edge here. Uh, we're going to be back with a special edition uh, with our buddy Robert Gibbs uh, later in the week after the inaugural uh, to see what we learned from it. Hopefully it'll be peaceful. And let's just say, and I think I'm speaking for all of us here, whatever, whatever and I know there are people in America who disagree with this, uh, let us wish the incoming president of the United States the best possible luck in leading us out of the morass that we're in. Um, he is going to be, as of noon on uh, Wednesday, uh, our president, the only president, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. We all have a vested interest in his, uh, in his success at a time of crisis for this country. Well done, Monsignor. I agree. All right. <laughs> all right, brothers. We'll talk to you later. Rob, you thank you. Great talk you to you, CX. Bye-bye. Bye.